Well, hi, Cassie. We're so excited to have you on the Beyond Beauty podcast. So thanks for coming out today. Hello. So excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, everyone, this is Tassie Hogan. She is the Director of Advocacy for Beauty Counter, and we're excited for Tassie to share her story, how she got to where she is today, her journey, and more. So Tassie, let's go back to where it all started. How did you start your career? What was the path that got you to this current role? What did you do in between? I know you have a really interesting career story and journey, so I'll hand it off to you. Sure. Well, thank you for that question. And I will, I'll preface this by saying Beauty Counter is very unique in that we are a mission-based company, which is wonderful, but we are truly the only beauty brand that advocates at the federal and state level to the extent that we do. So every other year we bring 150 to 200 women to DC to lobby their lawmakers for change of the industry, which is amazing. And we can talk a little bit more about the beauty industry and beauty counter as we move forward. But to answer your question, I'm going to take it way far back to when I was born. So I was actually born and raised on the U.S. territory of Guam. And Guam is a U.S. territory, as I said, but as Guamanians, you actually do not have the ability to vote for the president of the United States. And you're a member of Congress if you live on a territory that includes Puerto Rico, American Samoa, is a delegate. So they actually have zero voting power. So as a kid growing up on Guam, I was always a little interested in politics because in one regard, I had a U.S. passport. I was a U.S. citizen. But people of territories have zero representation at the federal level. And so because of that, you know, as a kid, I was like, wait a minute, I'm not sure how I feel about this. And that's really where my interest in advocacy started. And so I basically went to, to college for public relations and thought I wanted to work in, in tourism, but, you know, I took a, a poli sci class and actually hated it so much. I, I, dropped the class after two weeks. But post-college, I actually ended up getting very involved on campaigns. So I worked on a 2016 presidential, actually worked on a 2008 presidential campaign, then a 2016 presidential, a 2020 presidential. And in between there, I was on about 20 other campaigns at the federal and state yeah. levels. After you work on campaigns, you typically work in government or in the private sector. I was always very, very interested in corporate social responsibility and mission-based companies and companies that go beyond profit and beyond regulatory minimums um, to deliver on consumer expectations. And so that's how I ended up at Beauty Counter after uh, lobbying in DC and the Southeast US for quite some time. I saw this opportunity with Beauty Counter. I was such a fan. I knew the brand, a former boss actually introduced me to the brand probably in 2015, 2016. And I was such a fan of all of their mission work, their sustainability initiatives, advocacy initiatives. And so it was kind of a perfect opportunity. Again, this is a very a unique role. Not a lot of companies have a director of advocacy. And so, yeah, I knew it was the perfect fit. And it's been such a privilege to work for Beauty Counter and to lead all of our government relations across the U.S. and Canada. That's so amazing to have your background and to see like kind of how the government operates, what's going on in front of the camera, behind the scenes, and then you're going into the world of beauty and stepping back 
I mean, myself, I worked in the beauty industry since 2010. And just to see the major differences of how we're talking about ingredients is, and sustainability from the fact of, you know, every time you use a moisturizer, you're, you're throwing it out or what we're putting on our face. There's some ingredients here that are legal that aren't legal in the UK. And so with Beauty Counter, they're really making a big splash in this area of, of transparency with ingredients and sustainability. So what an interesting background for you to come from the government lobbyist side of this world into the beauty space that took so many years to be disrupted. So what do you see, even in the past few years of working in the space, what do you think the biggest change has been? Do you think more people are catching on to harmful ingredients or how can we reimagine packaging or supply chains, especially with such the, the boom that's happening within the e-commerce of makeup, skincare, hair care? You know, I think there's there are multiple things, right? So we know from consumer behavior, from surveys, that consumers are increasingly becoming aware of the chemicals in their products. And you don't have to be a chemist. You don't have to have a background in science to know that carcinogens and chemicals that have been linked to cancers or that have been linked to reproductive harms, right? They're called endocrine disrupting chemicals. Those do not belong in any of our products. And so we're finally seeing the shift where consumers are more educated and they don't want that crap. And they're willing to pay a premium for a product that goes above and beyond regulatory minimums and is safer. So we're seeing that. And also climate change is impacting us all, right? I'm, I'm based in LA and just in the past year, we had a hurricane, a hurricane and earthquake all in one day. We had snow in LA, right? We're seeing, you know, just crazy weather and patterns. And with that, consumers are becoming more aware, right? And they're like, hmm, maybe I should be less reliant on plastics, or maybe I should shop with the guy who, you know, uses recycled plastics or glass bottles instead. So we're seeing, you know, all of these shifts and it's been Really great, you know, Beauty Counter specifically has led in, you know, in terms of safety, sustainability and advocacy really since our inception over 10 years ago. But, you know, we don't, we want people to join us, right? We want our competitors to join us, right? It's like, come to this side and, you know, use sustainable packaging, right? And call on, on the government to, to impact, or excuse me, to enact health protective laws. Mm -hmm. So those are probably the, the biggest shifts that we're seeing. And there's also, you know, there's, there's, there are consumer insights that show that women generally care a little bit more about the impacts of climate change than, than men, right? I've seen a lot of studies like that and probably like gets at our our maternal instincts, right? And like, whether you're a mom or not, like wanting better, you know, for future generations. And so we're positioned in a very unique way. I mean, makeup is, and skincare is for everyone, but, you know, most of our, our brand advocates and our consumers are women, again, not 100%. And so it's a really unique space for us to say, okay, you want what's best for your children and you want to leave the planet in a better position than how you found it. And so, you know, Beauty Counter is one of those ways that, that you can, can make a change. Mm -hmm. Is there one source that has all this information of quote, what is good for you or what is bad for you or, or what is a sustainable packaging? Because I hear this a lot from 
people that we work with, whether they're clients and they work within the beauty industry or a lot of agencies are getting interested in this and how they can help understand what's going on within the beauty business per se. And they, a lot of people say, how do I know which ingredients good for me or which is not? And from the little knowledge I have, but I always joke, I love to go into deep dives on this. And I remember someone telling me like retinol is good for you. It's fine. Just you can't have retinol and go on the sun the same day or the same week because then it's going to be harmful for you. And then it has that chemical reaction. And then there are certain ingredients that almost everyone knows about, especially within sunscreen right now. A lot of people are becoming more aware of like what's good for you. And I think that in my opinion has stemmed from Hawaii banning certain ingredients within um, their oceans for coral reef safety. And I think that helped, you know, spiral some conversations. So is there one resource that has all of this information of, of dividing ingredients for products as well as what is considered sustainable and, and how is that defined? Yeah, sure. So in terms of chemicals, specifically in in personal care products, I love, it's called the EWG Skin Deep database. So EWG stands for Environmental Working Group. They're a fantastic nonprofit based out of DC, and they really lead on a lot of federal and state lobbying initiatives. And so they have this great resource called the Skin Deep database. You can just type it into Google and it'll take you there. And you can type in any product that you want to use, right? So like a bare minerals eyeliner, a beauty counter serum, Mm -hmm. and it'll pull up the product and then break down every single chemical in that product. And it scores the chemicals on a scale of one to 10 being, you know, one being good and it's green and then 10 being harmful, right? So that's a really helpful resource. They also, EWG has a third-party verification program um, called EWG Verified. Mm -hmm. And so over 130 of Beauty Counter's products are EWG Verified. You also have other beauty brands like Honest Beauty. They're also, a, a bunch of their products are also EWG Verified, but it's a really great resource. EWG Verified is, you know, one of the gold standards for, you know, a clean, safer product. It's hard to get the certification. I think I was talking to one of the girls over at EWG and she told me that they typically only certify about 30 percent of the products that they receive applications for. So that's kind of my go-to resource. There's also a nonprofit based in San Francisco, excuse me, San Francisco called the Breast Cancer Prevention Partners. And they run a campaign called the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics. Again, if you go into Google, type in Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, Breast Cancer Prevention Partners, you'll find this. But they have really good resources on how to avoid harmful chemicals. They have shopping guides with some of their, you know, preferred brands that they know provide safer options. And so those are really my two go-to resources. Those are great to know. We do hear a lot of people coming on to a lot of founders we chat with. Um, they do have the story of they were diagnosed with cancer or someone that they loved, whether it was mm-hmm. breast cancer or they were afraid to use sunscreen and they end up with melanoma. There's so many of these stories we've heard that are really impactful and why they started their brands, whether they're um, a retailer to aggregate clean products or they're making their own clean products. Do you think that more people are talking about this and this is helping the bottom line of this initiative to bring cleaner ingredients to this country? And, or is it time that 
this has been going on for forever and no one was really talking about it or they weren't connecting the dots per se. And now people are understanding the cause and effect. I know there's so much more research that is being Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm not, I don't have a PhD. I'm, I'm not a scientist, right? But I, I consume a lot of uh, studies. I, you know, I work very closely with multiple scientists on our team. And, you know, the science is constantly evolving. And so to your point, you know, all of us, have been impacted by cancer in some way, right? If we haven't had cancer ourselves, we know someone who has had a cancer diagnosis. And I was actually reading an article, this is like so bad because I'm not citing any of my resources, but I was just uh, reading an article a few weeks ago that showed that we've seen a huge spike in breast cancer cases for women in their 30s in the past five to 10 years. And that's not normal, right? We know something is wrong when women are receiving breast cancer diagnoses in their 30s. And so the science is evolving, right? We're seeing more studies like that that are raising flags and you know, we're all like, wait a minute, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Another thing that we don't talk about quite as often because obviously like, you know, the C word is awful and has impacted so many of our lives, but the other thing is the fertility issues that mm-hmm. Americans and people in the developed world are going through. You know, I think for people our age we probably know someone who has had fertility problems and you know they 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 had to go with their partner and go through an IVF process right and that's also new to our generation and the science is evolving and there's there's a lot of research that suggests that you know it's we're having all of these fertility problems because of our exposure to something called endocrine disrupting chemicals you find these a lot in plastics right so it's like when we're eating food from a plastic microwavable container that exposes us to harmful chemicals mm-hmm. we probably didn't know that you you know, when we were babies, right? But the science has evolved. The other thing that we see a lot in personal care products, there's a, a chemical use called phthalates and phthalates are used commonly in fragrances mm-hmm. and it helps, you know, when, do you ever get on an elevator and you can smell someone's perfume oh, on that elevator? I joke. I have a probably a result of phthalates. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But phthalates, you know, the, the research has grown and suggests that phthalates are indeed an endocrine disrupting chemical mm-hmm. that messes with our fertility. So yeah, the science is evolving. People are becoming more aware, you know, people are saying, wait a minute, why do I know so so many people with fertility problems? Why do I know so many people with cancer? And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's great that consumers are are becoming more and more aware. It's just sad that it's also had to get to this point, right, right. where people are are getting so sick. It's also not just beauty. I think it's amazing what Beauty Counter is doing within the quote what we define as a beauty space and like hair care, makeup, mm-hmm. fragrance, uh, skincare, but that extends beyond the traditional beauty landscape and it goes into personal care, whether it's the dish soap or the candles we have burning in our living room, any type of like shampoo, conditioner, hand soap, because mm-hmm. I hear from a lot of people say, oh, I'm not really a beauty girl. I don't really use those products. And you go into their home and you're, you you don't want to say, oh, you want to be the, the bad guy who says, well, based on your shampoo I see in your shower and the hand soap in you mm-hmm. know, your kitchen sink, they no, these are the same products and you're consuming them. It's going on your skin. Your skin's your largest organ. So I really think what you're doing at Beauty Counter is not just sitting within the beauty space, but it's going beyond into personal care and 
to into so many people's homes. Like we all use these products day in, day out. Yeah. And we consume so much. So do you think, have you started to see an uptick in more of like home goods or personal care or kind of like your traditional consumer packaged goods lines and they're getting into the awareness of these ingredients and what they're doing and, and how we, they can innovate to stay strong as a, a company without harm to so many people, especially in these more traditional spaces that haven't had to innovate for so many years. Yeah. I mean, as it relates to personal care products and that's everything from your makeup to your soaps, your lotions, your shaving creams, we've seen a lot of momentum about the past 10 years where there's finally federal action. In fact, just last year in 2022, a bill called the Modernization of Cosmetics Regulation Act passed, and it was the first update to federal cosmetics laws in over 84 years. Wow. So it was huge, but also like it's kind of disheartening to know that it took 84 years. But anyway, so we've seen a lot of momentum in the personal goods space. But to your point, you know, when we wake up in the morning, we're exposed to a cocktail of chemicals. And it's not just consumer packaged goods, it's our furniture, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, the cheap wood that, you know, some of our furniture is made from. Our it's floors. rugs and exactly, yeah, rugs, um, carpets that are splay, sprayed with flame retardants and things like that. So, you know, the good thing is we're seeing more momentum around third party certifications, which is great. Like there's now something called a Green Guard Gold standard and it's a certification for furniture. So whenever I'm buying furniture, I look for that. I think the next space where we're really going to see a lot of momentum and innovation in is supplements. Supplements Mm -hmm. are so under-regulated in the U.S. and there's such a business opportunity for supplements. Like, I don't know about you, but I I'm probably embarrassed to share how much I spend a month on supplements, but it's definitely in the hundreds. Mm -hmm. And I love me a good supplement, but also there are a lot of, it's just an under-regulated industry, right? And so I wouldn't be surprised if in the next five to 10 years, we see a lot of innovation in the supplements industry. You already see some brands like Ritual, which are really leading the way. They're an LA-based company. Mm -hmm. They're really leading the way in terms of ingredient transparency. They now publish the the carbon offsets associated with every product, which is a a very cool tool to have available. But I think that's where like the, the next big opportunity is, is supplements. And obviously personal care products and the personal care product industry will continue to innovate and find ways to create safer products. But I think that's where we're really going to see momentum moving forward. You're really bringing like a broader awareness to so many different categories. It's beyond the the eyeliners and the moisturizers Mm -hmm. and the shampoos and conditioners. And that's really powerful. I love that. And so another topic we love to talk about on this podcast is making pivots. A lot of times we see people that start off in a legal field and then they moved into marketing or maybe, or especially with you, you started off in this more of like a government zone of lobbyists and politics. And now you've shifted into a hybrid of that as well as consumer goods, the beauty industry morphs into marketing as well, communications. So what was that making that pivot like? Would you call it a pivot? Is something different? Is it expanding your career? And what advice would you give to someone who's looking to do the same and follow in those footsteps? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would absolutely call it a pivot. You know, before 
actually, I shouldn't even say before beauty counter, I've never been a huge product junkie, right? Like I, you know, it's a good day if I like do my eye makeup, right? And so I was never a huge beauty person, right? Like I wouldn't go out of my way to get the latest and greatest products at Ulta. But what really spoke to me was beauty counters mission, right? And I was like, this is so wonderful that you can get a community of people excited to sell a product, excited to buy a product, but this work also goes beyond them, right? It's when you buy this product, you are supporting a company that spends a lot of money lobbying members of Congress to pass health protective laws, right? So that's what really spoke to me. So yes, I would absolutely call it a, a pivot. And I would say, you know, for anyone who's pursuing, you know, a new opportunity or wants to enter a new industry, you know, it's it's probably cliche, but I would just say learn as much as you can, right? Listen more than you speak and meet as many people as you possibly can in the industry, right? Like, don't be afraid to reach out to a random person on LinkedIn and say, hey, like, I want your job one day, right? And would love to know how you how you got there. Because the worst thing that happens is they don't respond and, you know, you move on with your life, um, but you have nothing to lose. So, yeah, I mean, when I... When I made the pivot, like I, I started to just consume as much information as I could about the the CPG space. I met with as many people as I possibly could. I there was actually a time when I was doing like three coffees a week with different wow. people who could connect me to the personal industry space and to beauty counters specifically. So yeah, just you know, learn as much as you can and talk to as many people as you can and and you know, stay hungry. And I think you know, as you're applying for jobs or you're fundraising or, you know, you, whatever you're doing, you're launching something new, you'll, I think people will really see your passion and your drive and, you know, you'll be able to bring them along. Mm -hmm. I love that. Having three coffees a week. It's like, it seems when you're in the mode, it seems like it's so much work and you look back and maybe those 30 minutes to an hour that you spent can make the world like a lifetime of a difference of, Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. From people. And when you find those people that are willing to share their advice or connect you with someone or give you that extra motivation or pep in your step, it makes such a difference. Has there been anyone in your career who served as a mentor or who's offered advice that you'll take with you forever or that you would think about weekly and, and why it's made an impact or what do you, what is your take on mentorship or is it more of like a community space? Yeah, I've had a lot of really wonderful mentors. And so I can't, I feel like it would be rude of me to just give like one of them a shout out. But no, I've been, I've been really lucky. I'm, you know, I'm like such a, a major feminist and believe so much in women. And I've been lucky to have four to five just incredible boss women <laughs> mentor me throughout my career and from different you know different walks of life you know some come from a political background some come from a super corporate you know disney world type of background but yes mentorship is so important and the you know the interesting thing to me with mentorship is i've never gone to someone saying I need a mentor or I want you to be my mentor. It's kind of organically happened, right? Where it's like, it starts with a coffee. Hey, will you meet me for a 30 minute coffee? I'd love to pick your brain. But then as the year progr progresses, as years progress, right? You find yourself 
calling them to bounce ideas, you know, calling them to see if they have a connection or can, you know, help introduce you to someone, right? And then it kind of organically turns into a mentorship without ever officially being like, let's shake hands and you are my mentor. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I mean, mentorship is, is so important. And, you know, like you were saying as well, even if you you know, maybe have had a hard time just finding that one mentor. Um, community is important, right? So go to, if you're in a big market like LA or New York, there are so many professional development groups that, you know, if you go to one event, you'll start seeing people at subsequent events who you recognize and you can sort of build that, you know, small or large community of like-minded people or people who share similar professional interests as you. And, there's a lot that that can be said for that network that you that you build yeah, and that that village that you rely on especially when you're advocating for something having that network and having that community is so important because it's really powers and numbers would you say and whether it's signing a petition or just getting people like all on the same page that's really powerful there so yeah if someone yeah. wants to make that switch into clean beauty do people ever reach out to you and say I'm looking at my makeup bag and I just want to get rid of it all. I want to have a fresh start in clean beauty or how do I make a gradual change? Is that something that you help people with or someone that you would connect someone with or resource or, and then I guess the second part of that question is where do you think that these large traditional corporate companies in CPG as well as in the beauty space, are they going to start making these pivots into cleaner, safer products? It's not going to happen overnight, right? But how long will this take and what do you think the next steps are? Sorry, I know those are two very Yeah. Things. I'll um I'll answer the the second part of that that question first. You know, your your large L'Oreal's and Unilevers and these, you know, giant multi-billion dollar corporations, they know that that's what consumers want, right? And so you're you're now seeing there's some really great brands that have been acquired by large companies, right? Like great clean indie brands that have been acquired. So a few examples that come to mind, Burt's Bees, right? Which I like love, love their, their lip balms and their makeup wipes and stuff like that. I believe they were acquired by Clorox, right? So it's, wow. it's funny because when I think of Clorox, I think of not clean. Yeah, no. I think of all the chemicals. So, you know, you see that seventh generation, which is one of my favorite cleaning brands, like cleaning product brands. Like I, I use their laundry detergent, mm -hmm. their dish soap. I believe they were acquired by Unilever. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing a lot of these acquisitions right? I mean, Amazon acquired Whole Foods, right? So these large companies know that consumers want cleaner, safer, healthier options, which is great. But, you know, change is, is gradual, um, which is, you know, why we at Beauty Counter, for example, we also lobby, right, to change regulations, right? So yeah, I think, you know, these large companies know that and want to deliver on consumer expectations. In terms of your, the first part of your question, yes, I very regularly help people make, we call them safer swaps. And so probably a, a, a few times a month, I get an Instagram DM or a text or an email from someone saying, you know, I just learned that, you know, I've been putting crap on my face for 30 years. Can you help me clean up my routine? 
And yes, I, I'm always happy to help people. Of course, I direct people to the Beauty Counter website and recommend some of my favorite products. My entire family now, my mom, my sister, my sister's-in-law, um, cousins, aunts, all use Beauty Counter now, mm -hmm. um, which I'm very proud of. And um, it goes back to, you know, those, those other resources. So I also direct folks to the EWG Skin Deep database, right? I'm like, you can input all of your products in here and figure out which ones you want to trash, which ones you want to keep, and then also look for, for, you know, cleaner options. So yes, I'm always, I'm always happy to help with recommendations on, on how to be Safer cleaner spot. and greener. <laughs> Love it. Mm -hmm. And so I know we only have a few minutes left in this podcast, but as we wind down, one question that we always love to ask is, where do you sit in the stands in your life? So not everyone is sitting in the stands. And what we mean by this is that imagine you're at a sports game, whether it's soccer, football, baseball, anything, and you're watching one of the players and you said like, why didn't he kick the ball to this other guy down? Like, what, what, easy. And you're getting frustrated, but then you realize you're sitting in the stands and that if you were actually playing on the field, you could have made that decision and perspective is everything. And so some people say they're sitting in the stands because they've always wanted to do something and they've never completed it. It's been on their to-do list for weeks, years, months, or maybe there's something they have been doing and they want to stop. It could be something like switching to clean beauty. It could be something like running a marathon. It could be moving to that new city you've always wanted to explore. Is there any place in your life where you're sitting in the stands, whether it's personally, professionally, that you want to commit to coming up? That's an interesting question. I think, you know, I, I'm not sure I would say I, I would commit to this, but I feel like when you are a very passionate person who works in politics and government, a lot of times the response you get when you're talking to lawmakers, whether it's at the state level in Sacramento or in D.C., is, you know, you hear people who are like, you should run for office, right? Like, I love your passion. Like you need to run for office and be the most vocal person on Capitol Hill or in your city council, right? Who, who advocates for chemical reform, right? Or for health protective legislation. So I do hear that a lot. And I, I have so much respect for anyone who runs for office, especially young people. One of my good I shouldn't say good friends, but one of my friends from Orlando, Florida, his name is Maxwell Frost, and he was the youngest person ever elected to the U.S. Congress last year, wow. 25 years old. Oh gosh, and that so takes cool. that takes like a lot of guts, right, to be a 25 year old running for Congress. He won and he's doing such a great job and making Florida proud. But, you know, I would say that's probably where I sit in the stands. But again, also not saying I would commit to that. I'm not sure I have the the tough skin that that people like Maxwell Frost have. But, you know, I would I would just say to that point, if if there's anyone watching or listening and, you know, who feels really compelled to make change in their community, whether at the local level, the state level, or the federal level, you should absolutely consider running for office. And again, it doesn't have to be like a big, scary, you know, congressional race. It could be your local city council race. There's so much that we as young people can do. And 
you know, the more the more young people who run, you know, the more change we're going to see, right? The issues that are important to us are much different than the issues, you know, for a 65 or 70 year old voter. So yeah, props to all of those people who run for office. Maybe I'll get there at some point, but in the near well, future, you have my I, vote. Think I'll, I have my vote. I, I'll think, you know, I think I'll stay in the stands for now, but <laughs> who knows? You never know. <laughs> I love that. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. And then one final question on the podcast today is, what advice would you like to share with everyone, whether it is pro professionally, personally, within the clean beauty space, within the political sphere, lobbying, advocacy, what advice would you love to share with the community today? You know, I work in politics, and which is a very divisive thing. I will say my one of my best friends did the exact same thing that I did on the Biden campaign for the Trump campaign. So she and I had the exact same jobs. She worked for Trump. I worked for Biden. I'll also just like preface this by saying I do travel quite a bit. I've had the privilege of going to traveling to all 50 states and then I've been to 65 something countries. Wow. And so I think what I would leave everyone with is, you know, the world can seem really divisive when you're watching how the 2024 presidential election is going to shake out. You know, the the conflict in Israel and Palestine right now is, is so heartbreaking. And what I would just say is, you know, at the end of the day, we're all the same. And even if we come from different religious backgrounds, even if, you know, you love Trump, I love Biden, right, whatever it is, at the end of the day, most of us just want to be happy and provide for our families and do the things that we enjoy doing, whether that's going to a sports game or sitting on the couch, you know, watching Netflix, uh, traveling the world, right? Whatever it may be, I think we're all the same at the end of the day. So, you know, just try to to remember that, you know, especially the next time you, you know, you see someone wearing a, a t-shirt for a, a political candidate you don't like, right? Mm -hmm. um, most of us just want the same thing at the end of the day. And so, you know, be kind, you know, try to, to meet people in the middle. And if you can't, it's totally fine to agree to disagree, right? Mm -hmm. And you move mm -hmm. on and there's just, there's no reason to be negative or, or nasty about it. Mm-hmm. That's great advice, especially with so many things that are coming up with within the U.S. of, yeah, politics can be very divisive, especially within the U.S. And I think a lot of people have a lot of passion. There's a lot of people that are involved, whether it's from a religious to a business standpoint to a family standpoint. So there's a lot that can bring a lot of emotions up. So I think it's great advice for you to say, let's step back and say, how can we work together? And we're all at the end of the day, we're all just trying to be happy and provide for ourselves and our family. So. Yeah, well, exactly. Tassie, thank you so much for sharing all your advice, your career story, everything and more. You're, what you're doing is amazing. You definitely inspired me to take a finer look at my makeup bag and my skincare shelf and understand what I am putting on my face and then also down to consumer goods and more and you know, spread that word. So thanks for everything you're doing and thanks for sharing your story and your time. It's been amazing. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This was fun. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tassie. Well, have a good rest of your day and have a great week. And thanks for coming out on this Monday morning.